0: To play on every coaster, coaster. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday, happy endings are the rules. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys, there's your picture. Drop the shadow.
1: This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today I have with me here in the studio an artist. She and I will both be uh, in Oakland on Thursday night, the twenty-fifth. That's day after tomorrow, the twenty-fifth of March. We will be at Pro Arts. Pro Arts is a um, an art gallery. Down off, I don't know, let's see. It's on 9th Street, just off Broadway. I'm trying to think of the best way to tell you to get there. Uh, I usually, if I take the bar I get off at 12th Street. Um, and I just walk about two blocks down Broadway. And then it's just in the first block off Broadway on 9th. Just, um, what is that, north?
0: Um, Yes, the north
1: side of the street. Right, okay. It's called Pro Arts, folks. This is an exhibition confronting violence. The title of the exhibition is Insomnia, Awakening. And the artist is Chandra Garson. And poets, we have got poets. Let's see. Besides moi, Jennifer Stone, there's Alta, one of my oldest pals, and Mary Rudge, a dear... Dear pal, and the um, uh, the fourth poet, you pronounce it for me because I'll get it wrong. Patel is her last name. Shayuja. Shayuja Patel. Anyway, the moderator is Deborah Grace. Give me another help here. Um Deborah Grace Katab. I tell you, I am just a retard. Anyway, <laughs> she's <laughs> she's going to line us up. Uh now Chandra, are you going to talk about your work that night? Because I've got your, your catalog is absolutely exquisite. I've got to find a way. Uh, how much do these catalogs cost? This is the item that I would buy if I were... Uh, a Lady with Money.
0: It's well under a $1,000. Oh! <laughs> it's, for the black and white one, it's $25. It has three color ones okay. thrown in just for good measure. And the full color one is $45. And both of them have 63 images and 63 okay. pages of text, which is
1: also on the wall. Yeah, it's up there, folks. The difficulty, it's so hard with art. I... I don't really think, I'm not never sure whether I qualify as an art critic. I had an awful lot of art history courses and I am of course a worshiper, but my, what is it, Um, I, I have never done, I've never done art criticism, I think twice in print, and I got a lot of furious feedback. What I see in the catalog is my kind of thing. I see blood and myth and Mostly the textures are what fascinate me. The the um, what is the word? Uh the tactile quality, the the textures, uh the touchableness of what you're doing. Uh I wish you'd tell us a little bit first, before we read about specific works, tell us a little bit how you organize this. You've got two hundred artworks in this gallery, uh and you put it together how? Um, it's a major retrospective.
0: Most of the work goes back 15 to 20 years. The oldest piece is 22 years old. Um, it represents a lifetime of having made art. Um, I began over 30 years ago as an adult to make nice. art. And um, it's uh, self-curated, and um, it's an installation. And what that means is that it works not only in terms of the individual pieces in the show, but all of them go together as giant collage or giant sculpture as mm-hmm. one piece, an environment, mm-hmm. three-dimensional. Uh,
1: when you say m- major retrospective exhibitions, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I am a little bit overwhelmed by the amount, because at the front here, on the front, you said that it's a work in progress. Uh, but, um... It seems to me that it's a lifetime, a lifetime of work. And That's right. That
0: work in progress is the title of the newsletter that Pre- Oh, okay, puts okay. Out.
1: <laughs> no, no, I, am led <laughs> astray. Okay. No, this is you. This is your, your work. I, I wonder now, it's closing on the 27th. So people, if you don't get there Thursday night to see moi and these other women poets, get down there to see the work itself, uh, because it's closing Saturday night, March the 27th. And, uh, let's see, the hours are Wednesday through Saturday, 11 to 5.
0: Yes. Is that right? Okay. That's right.
1: Goodo. And I want you to read us a little bit about some of the specific, I, <laughs> last night I was trying to think of some sensible things to, to say to you and I was watching, I, I don't want to take your time or digress, but there's a new television show called The L Word. And Jennifer Beals stars as a mixed-race lesbian woman running a gallery, and she's hit by uh, obscenity charges, and she's trying to defend um, the art in the studio. And I was just, what is it, I was carried away by what, what television people think, you know, is a defense of art, uh, She's confronted by a woman who used to be a porn queen, but she's not going to confront her with that and, you know, punish her for that. The woman insists that she is a pornographer because she has uh, what I would call brutal or violent images. And, you know, the two of them are trying to explain the difference between, what would you call it, pornography and art, you know. And obviously, um, actually, The L Word is a pretty good show for HBO, but we seem to be still back in, in uh, what is it, in the dark ages to explain to people, uh, what is the word for that, uh, not ugliness, but uh, violence. I remember, what is that, uh, Gertrude Stein or Picasso or both of them once said, the first time a thing is done, it will seem to be ugly. Then others will come along and do the same and it won't be ugly anymore. But the first shock of ugliness, it startles, and obviously it frightens people. Uh, I don't know. Read me something um, from your catalog or tell me something about what you have done, say... Uh Pick the one you like best. I like the stuff about the Barbies, but.
0: Oh, I'll read about Barbie if you like. Um, It's a little bit lighter. By the way, I think that the first shock of ugliness is the violence that's actually done, and that any depiction of violence or revisiting through art or catharsis or exorcism through the arts is not actually ugly in itself. It depicts ugliness, and there's a big difference. No Mm -hmm. painting ever jumped off a wall (laughs) to bash somebody
1: over the head. There you go. (laughs) No, I was. Yes. I was never raped <laughs> by a painting. It's so difficult to get that point across. I, I think years ago when I started here, I kept saying, it's just a movie, but that doesn't make it. Right, some, you know.
0: right. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the point of the exhibition is mm-hmm. to get people looking at what they dare not look at in the hopes that by good people looking and listening and knowing, there may begin to be... Some some, um, some, some some, beginning of an end to the actual violence. Some recognition. When people are willing to open their eyes and address and listen to those who have actually experienced it. Integrate it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start here with um, somewhat lighter fare. Um, this is about Barbie on a cross. There's a sculpture in the show of Barbie on a cross or woman as Christ figure and there's a, a small painting behind her it's an installation of paintings of sculptures and the sculptures themselves my younger sister accuses me of having pulled off the heads of Barbies and having cut off all of their hair I may well have been capable of pulling Barbies head off it could always be put back on I was not a destructive child so I seriously doubt that I ever cut Barbies hair after all it would never have grown back. The main reason, I doubt her memory on this, is that we own no Barbies. Our mother would not allow it. Vague feminist reasons. Really, she was just too cheap for uh, th- that whole rigmarole. <laughs> we did enjoy playing with Barbies at the house of our neighbor up the street, Patty Parrott, listening to KRLA and 93 KHJ as well as KFWB Channel 98 on Patty Parrott's transistor radio. I def- definitely would not have destroyed the property of my friends. My favorite doll was Rosie Pinkins. She was small, a small-cloth lady doll with red hair and diaphanous gauzy pink layers of long gown. She was given to me by Sandy Egbert, who lived down the street from us on Wellesley Avenue with her ten brothers and sisters. Sandy was Mormon. Her family did not smoke or drink alcohol or even coffee, which amazed me. Most importantly, the Egberts had a giant trampoline slung over a pit dug in their backyard. I was quite the jumper. I was a flipper and a lander on my butt and sometimes my head. This is a portrait of Barbie on a cross. If I did cut her hair, I don't remember, for her head is long gone. Sadly, she also has no arms or legs, but she does have a beautiful metal spiral winding around her, and her cross is fire engine red, made from an old wooden toy windmill. She is ready to fly right out of the picture plane, which is framed in water media vermilion hues of flame.
1: What you have done here with your catalog is you've written this journal, and that the piece that you just read is in, in the... Uh uh, catalog. You say that the color catalog is only $45. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out a way I can get my hands on. It. I'll, I'll figure an angle here, but no, this is a, a, a wonderful book. It's the kind of book that I, I try to make myself, but I don't want to get into my own stuff. I, I, like to find a picture and write a poem to match. And I filled up notebooks and notebooks of this stuff, you know. And then I thought, well, it's, maybe it, it, it's interesting because Visual images uh, uh, are so powerful and seems to me, you know, this is a time of collage. But um, people get all confused about whether or not you can mix the language with the the, the image. I, I, the therapy of dolls fascinates me. I remember taking a doll once and smashing it to bits because I read a book when I was 10, I think. I read a book called Hetty, Her First 100 Years, and I realized that I was going to die, and the doll doesn't die in the story. Of course, you know, she gets a hundred years of history. It's a nice little history book. And I was absolutely furious. I took my best doll and smashed it hell out of her. <laughs> I think I was a destructive child. like <laughs> you. Find find an, another piece. Uh, what I love most about your journal, the color, uh, what I would have to have, the color journal. It's the colors of these pieces that you have here that knock me out. Uh, I'm getting to be like what was it, Tony Morrison I was reading the other day. She said, I've almost come to the end of pink, mauve, purple. <laughs> you know, it's like we get hungry for a particular color and I just plaster my apartment with it. I've become a little bit of a crazy lady. Uh I've taken to uh, uh Christmas tree lights lately, uh uh jalapeno peppers are all over the kitchen. <laughs> You know, beautiful. It, lo- it looks like a bar in there. Anyway, read me another piece. Okay. This is Chandra Garson, and her work is at Pearl Arts. We're going to be there Thursday night.
0: The Art of Listening, and this is with an Adam and Eve painting. I did a series of over 20 Adam and Eve's. It is only through talking and through listening that there can be any hope that people will understand one another. Talking is easier to do and to define than listening. Much more complex, listening is a skill, a service, a privilege, and an honor. Listening requires the development of perceptive, interpretive, and empathic ability, the beginnings of compassion. The good listener is required to honor what is told with commitment never to use what is told against the teller. Sometimes the will toward unselfish action is required of the listener. Most often, the need on the part of the teller is simple, more listening. For a while, don't switch the subject back to yourself. Ask about, comment on, and mirror what has been told. Call a little more often for a while, get together with, inquire. Ease another over the rougher terrain It will not be forever It may prevent something rougher up ahead Maybe all Adam and Eve needed to do was simply sit down together for a good talk, a good listen. I began to fight for the right and the privilege to be heard several years ago, listening as a tool for self-preservation along with a heightened perceptive skill I had begun to master early in life. What every sexual assault has in common with every other sexual assault is that the attacker will not listen to what the victim is trying so desperately to tell with her voice, her scream, her body, her will. While every story of sexual assault varies in its details, this one common factor of the perpetrator's refusal to listen remains the same. Every abused and neglected child is a child who is not listened to. Listening is fundamental to the good care of all
1: children. That's fascinating. Listening is a life, a lifelong task and lesson for me when I first began to study method acting, I found out that, you know, this is the secret. This is the great secret is to listen, listen with your blood, you know, to hear people. I used to make a joke about the Irish, you know, saying that we hear everything, but we wouldn't be caught dead listening. You know, that's, a, <laughs> that's an attitude. And uh, the abuse issue fascinates me because as I grew older, I realized that my effort to react, to talk back, was so furious and so violent that, of course, I never stopped talking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? I know several women that I put in the same basket with myself. It's uh, uh, just the word. It's our wall. It's protected us, you know. And mm-hmm. in a way, it's a horrible, punishing thing. But it's very important to study the the woman who talks too much. I've written about it for years, and... It's still the first line of defense, you know. Yes. Talk to him off the wall. And of course, think of the, the, you know, it's only, what is it? The, the, perpetrators aren't everywhere. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. your, your good friends, your family and the people you love have to bear with, you know, your incredible overbearing need, you see, to be the first one to attack, to be the attacker. And you can do it with your voice, you know, you don't have to do it with, um, you don't have to be a monster. But it's the first step, you know. It's it's interesting, interesting, uh, you know, those of us who, what is it, you unlearn one thing and then you're stuck there, you know. You can't, you have to go further than that. Read us another one that teaches me more. Okay. Um,
0: uh, Self-Portrait as Mona Lisa Doing Yoga. Forever and universally, we are mystified by the almost expression on the face of Mona Lisa. I chose her as my role model early in life. I trained myself to give away almost nothing about my feelings from the expression on my face. I cultivated an aura of mystery emulating Mona Lisa, the lady with the mystic smile, in the belief that this might protect me. The price paid out for this protection was loneliness, a creative life of art, the benefit. Although a complete revolution from within the past few years has transformed me, such change does not happen with ease. And like Mona Lisa, I still do not grin from ear to ear. I still do not cry in front of others. If the anger flashes bright for an instant for others to see, the urge is still there to stuff it back in as quickly as possible. I was lucky to find my way to the discipline of yoga, my teacher and a spiritual path at a time in my life when I so needed it. The revolution within really did begin at that time when I was 21. When I became serious about yoga, I cannot actually do the pose in this painting, the scorpion. This painting is pure fantasy, artistic license. The pose looks like a wave curling about to break. After the wave crashes, the water recedes, merges back into the ocean. Yoga was for me the first time ever calm, the calm into which the seeds of revolution could be sown. Yep,
1: that was then that, you know... Got me there, and I still am not there, but it's the one place I can go. I started uh, acting. I made my life performance art by age six. You know, if you're on a stage, you can be anything, and you have permission, you know, to have all these feelings and be angry. Uh, I'm not sure. Last night I was thinking about this, and I was reading Virginia Woolf's notes. Uh, Virginia Woolf, according to her sister and Virginia herself, was never capable of um, orgasm. She was never capable of sexual fulfillment, I believe is the word. And yet she says that she loved her husband very, very much, that they were very happy together, whatever that means. But she seems to have lived all of her life in denial, and her sister, um, Vanessa, did the other thing, which is to completely, as Vanessa says, sympathize with the sexual urges of men. She, Vanessa says, since the age of two, I have sympathized with men's sexual desires. And Vanessa, too, was um, abused by <clears throat> an older half-brother, George Duckworth, uh, abused these girls when they were young. And uh, the different reactions are what I was interested in. Some women simply, in order to save themselves they become partners in crime, perpetrators, you know, and it's one of the roles that we haven't noticed. Most people pay attention to the Virginias, those who, what is that, uh, shut down. Virginia was psychotic, you know, she had to be put in a straitjacket. And when she went mad, she attacked her own husband, you know, whom she professed to love. But uh, the women who, what is the word for that, uh, become... Uh, you know, they, they join. They, they, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. They become at one with the oppressor. I have known an awful lot of women, uh, like that. And I'm afraid of them. I don't know how to, um, uh, approach them because, uh, they, they found a way out. They found a way out. They become at one with the, well, it, it isn't that they necessarily become, uh, perpetrators or abusers. But they just assume that this is an okay thing, you know. <laughs> they join an S&M club and become sadists themselves. Mm-hmm. Read me something else that I need to know. You seem to know what I need to know here.
0: Oh, okay. Um, well, I'm looking through this book. There's so much text and so much image for the part where... I'm looking for the one where my father, who was destructive, smashes my doll over his knee inspired by what you said before about smashing your dog. But I can't find that one, so I found (laughs) another one. This is about my mother, who was a smasher, and by the way, also a talker. Talking may have been her first line of defense, but she had other worse, more violent lines of defense at her own family, at her own children. Mm -hmm. The furthest my memory reaches back is to age two. I am not certain how I know... That was my age. Perhaps at that time I was used to holding up that many fingers when asked. My mother is busy. She is trying to concentrate on something. Was it a book? Sewing? The bills? This, in retrospect, of course. At the time, I know and care nothing for all of this. I only care about me. I'm two. I am talking to her, tugging at her. I want her to play with me, pay attention to me, love me. I must have been relentless in my demand for her love when I was two. I am relentless. I demand. I am too. Suddenly a fist crashes toward me. Blood rushes down my face, onto my clothes, the floor, everywhere. I have no memory of pain. My memory is visual. There is an odd look on her face. I have not seen, as she blots at my face with a wash rag as I sit on the toilet lid where she has placed me. Perhaps all the blood frightens her. I wonder if she wonders if my nose has been broken by her or if I might die from all the blood loss, or she worries at this uh, perhaps unprecedented escalation of her violence. Will it continue or get worse? Yes and yes." Alberta started coming to the house soon after my baby sister was born. I was two and a half. One, two, three days per week, I don't remember. Her words to me were always kind. She would scoop me up into her great fat arms, hug me to her great fat bosom. Her smile was sweet like the sun, warm like honey, wide like the ocean. Alberta always made me feel good. I have a... I've always thought about her, wondered about her, what happened to her. After Alberta came Geraldine and then Ruby. They were skinny, unmemorable, didn't count like Alberta did. She baked cookies that smelled like butterscotch. She showed them to me when they were ready to come out of the oven.
1: I see and smell those cookies still. Was uh, uh, Alberta a black woman? Yes. I had one, too. Somehow or another kept us alive. I don't know, Josie was a... The the um, uh, some irritating shrink once told me that's why uh, the great loves of my life were people of color. That you know that stuff that is so crazy making. You know you <laughs> go go crazy with this stuff. But the the um, the truth is that there there has to be. I mean, if you're not going to die, if you're not going to suffer soul murder, there has to be someone. And I can't imagine. Uh, well. You said that it was your mother i i think I think my mother hit me once, and uh, I never forgave her, and we had a big fuss over it. She was in generally speaking completely um, what is it um, completely tender always you know uh, mm-hmm. she never uh, she just uh, was an alcoholic and died on me, you know <laughs> which is another kind of abuse but uh, i, I don 't remember i don 't know how women survive. Uh, a cruel mother that's one that's just not in my frame of reference uh, but the uh, maybe by doing thousands of artworks yeah that's a start there you go that's a start I, I, I'm i not sure um, you know we went through a bad period recently when we were told that art therapy was uh, not art and uh, I can't imagine what else it could be I mean all great art is art therapy you know uh, uh, starting with yeah, starting with Rembrandt, and <laughs> you know, I remember looking at that picture of. There's a picture of Saskia, the the uh, second wife of Rembrandt, that I always thought was my mother. I looked at it for years and just kept it in my room in college because I thought it looked mm. exactly like my Dutch mother, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I kept it. It's about uh, his love for this woman, and uh, of course, all art is some manifestation of our creative imagination, you know, and, and what we got, but these emotions that we we live with, I, I think uh, I need to be sure and run over the facts again, and mm-hmm. you need to tell me facts.
0: Okay, could we start with the closing reception, or, or do you right. want to start with Thursday night? Sa-
1: well, Saturday night is your closing reception for the it's art not, show.
0: It's not the nighttime. It begins at 2 o'clock in the afternoon,
1: okay.
0: and it goes until 6, 7, let's...
1: Cap it off at 7 o'clock. Okay, 2 till 7 on 27th of um, March.
0: Yes, that's Saturday. That's and Saturday there night. will be two filmmakers there. Um,
1: filmmakers? Right.
0: Yes, both of them showing their films about abuse. And one of those filmmakers is Francis Nakara, and the other one is Michelle McGoy. And there will also be Amy Suzara and uh, Dancers Without Borders, Um, She's from uh, San Francisco, Women Against Rape, and she'll be presenting. And there will be an open mic for anybody who's there who wishes to perform or read poetry or say anything they want to say. I'll be taking questions and answers about the artwork. um, And there will be other things as well going on.
1: Dancers Without Borders. I think what we need here is we need a good phone number. There is one on there. Right. Let's just... Give you the phone number, folks, at the gallery. So that, you know, if you're, you know, if you forget all about this or you're, you're in your car now, go home and call the Pro Arts Gallery at 461 9th Street. It's, it's a very central location. I've read there lots of times. It's a good space. Pro Arts Gallery 461 9th Street in Oakland. And their phone number's in the five and dime area code and it's 763 4361 once again it's 763 4361. But good
0: luck reaching them because they're hard to reach right now. They just moved. My artwork's still at the Old Space, but their new space will be at the Old Wales and oh. Friends across from Jack London Square, and that's where they'll be from now on, um, right next to Bed Bath & Beyond, across from C- Cost Plus. And they're difficult to reach, but you have the address and the it's time. The same, same and also you have the address of the gallery on Sunday, the 28th. We'll be dismantling the show and we'll be loading it up into a big truck and we'll need all the help that we can get so if anybody wants
1: to come and volunteer we welcome you so thursday night it's me and mary rudge and alta and we'll all be there and we'll all have oh i don't know maybe maybe a 20 minute reading um i read a piece last week that is similar to the one i'm going to read thursday night and uh uh, Chandra will be there to answer any questions you have about her work. And you can take a look at this catalog. And if you can afford to buy it, well, that's cool. Uh, it's an amazing catalog because it's basically a life journal. This is Chandra Garson. The show is called Insomnia or Awakening. Insomnia, Awakening. Awakening in parenthesis. <laughs>
0: And the black and white catalog is only
1: $25. (laughs) Till next time, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. This week on Full Circle, let's talk
0: about health. We'll be hanging with Christine, a Full Circle correspondent, as she talks to local youth working toward health justice. Let's explore how our communities could be healthier if provided with more access to fresh, organic, affordable foods instead of low-grade junk in our corner stores. Also, let us tickle your funny bone (laughs) with some of the funniest women in comedy. So let us give you health tips for the skin you're in and give you some comic relief while we're at it. Come on down to 94.1 on your FM dial and join us